Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, he walks in a month. Why the rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long. You can check me out at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow us at Celluloid Fiends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Celluloid Fiends Pod on Instagram. If you want to read my writing on film, you can check me out at cupofmo.com, and I write about consumer tech stuff over at techuplife.com. And as always, I am joined here in the virtual studio by... Well, good evening, celluloid fiends. It's your old pal, Wes Clifton. I'm a writer, I'm a musician, and I am a matinee mountaineer. Uh, You can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Cliff Weston. And if you'd like to check out some of my fiction writing, you can do so over my website, wdclifton.wordpress.com. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We are super excited to talk about cinema, as always. And one thing that helps us out a lot is go ahead and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, if you want to help us reach new listeners, one thing that you can do that gives us a big boost is super simple. And you can just leave us a rating and a review on the Apple Podcasts app. It's true. Leave us a review. We'd appreciate it a lot. So what all, Wes, have you been watching lately and what physical media have you picked up yeah man i somehow feel like i've watched a lot over the past couple weeks so i won't go into all of it because it would take too long i guess i'll hit some of the highlights i went on kind of a giallo kick again and i watched um four flies on gray velvet the dario argento film i had seen um i had seen the bird with the crystal plumage and I had seen cat of nine tails, but four flies on gray velvet's a little bit harder to come by in the States because, uh, I might be getting my facts crossed, but I think it's paramount owns the rights to it and just decided not to release it over here for some reason. So four flies is a little harder to track down, but I did finally watch it and it was actually pretty good. I mean, I can see why people say that out of those first three, the animal trilogy, it's sort of, uh, the lesser of the three, but it was still enjoyable. Great Morricone score. I mean, it's, it's Argento. It's fun. Uh, so that was good. And then I also decided to, so I've admitted on the podcast before, so it shouldn't come as a shock to anybody that I am woefully underwatched on, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movies. And so since I'd been on this Jalo kick and Argento and Bava and all of them are so into Hitchcock, I thought, man, I really need to go back and kind of fix that hole in my uh in my movie watching repertoire so i watched dial m for murder which i'd never seen before and it was really really good i really liked it very much uh and so i think i'm going to be watching a lot more of the hitchcock movies soon i mean i've seen psycho i've seen strangers on a train and now i've seen dial m for murder 
but yeah, so that's kind of what I've been watching. And then uh, in terms of physical media pickups, I did pick up the Arrow Blu-ray of Blood and Black Lace, the Mario Bava classic giallo, which is just so good. It's such a beautiful film. It's a 2K restoration, but I'm just I'm told that the that the restoration is beautiful. I haven't had a chance to pop it in yet, uh, but I can't wait to see this movie uh, on a nice Blu-ray for a change. Uh, and then also I picked up a um, a vinyl that I've been looking for for a very long time from Rust Blade Records. Uh, it's movie related, so I can talk about it, which is the Ennio Morcone Giallo Criminale um, collection. It's a, a nice yellow vinyl. Uh, it looks like the the cover of an old Giallo novel, and it's got a lot of uh, Morcone score uh, uh, themes from various crime movies and Giallo movies, including the theme from. Uh, Argento's Cat of Nine Tales, which I really, uh, I like that theme a lot. That is quite a respectable haul right there. Although one one thing I question is you mentioned being on a giallo kick. Uh, when did that kick end? I didn't. I, I took a little pause for the, <laughs> I took a little pause for the J-horror earlier this year. Uh, I went, I went uh, over to Japan and then now I'm back on the boot. And you mentioned on our last episode about being on that that J horror kick, yeah. And that kind of inspired me. I would love to do a J horror film on the podcast because that's that's an element of the reviews that we haven't covered yet. I don't think we've done a, a good J horror, and there are a lot of awesome ones out there. Yeah, I'm into it. I mean, it's something that I'm pretty new to, as I mentioned last time. But I, I've really enjoyed the ones that I've seen. So. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a J-horror expert, but I I think I've probably watched more than you on that front. So, yeah, maybe I'll do that as a Mopic. <laughs> if you've watched more than three, you've watched more than me. It rhymes, but it's also true. Yeah, I, I've watched at least four. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so you probably got me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that'd be cool, man. I like that. So how about you? What have you been watching? What have you been uh, picking up? So I picked up recently 21 Bridges. It stars Chadwick Boseman and Sienna Miller. It came out, I think, at the end of 2019. I want to see maybe November or December around then. And I went and saw it in theaters, absolutely fell in love with it. Even though it's a relatively new film, it has this kind of 70s detective style to it. And that slow burn pacing to me was just super refreshing in terms of what i've watched recently i had a fun disaster movie double feature of volcano the 1998 movie starring tommy lee jones as well as the new release greenland with gerard butler oh and i was very pleasantly surprised by that i'm kind of admittedly a bit of a sucker for disaster movies and so I figured I would probably enjoy it, but it was actually a lot more intelligent and clever than I expected it to be, especially from the trailers, which just made it look like one big action film. I also watched One Night in Miami, which was really good. Oh. And it's based on a true story. And another based on a true story movie that I watched recently was Judas and the Black Messiah. 
Yeah, I don't know as much about that one. I've seen it kind of advertised more recently, but that one night in Miami, I feel like that was everywhere for a while. I didn't watch it, but I heard it was really good. So I should probably check that one out. I was interested to hear you say you'd watch that because it was, I mean, it was for a while. I feel like it was just everywhere, but I heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah, I kept seeing these glowing reviews and the trailer made it look very appealing. And I thought it lived up to the hype. 100% lived up to the hype. That's awesome. Yeah, so if you get a chance, I think it might be streaming on, it might be Amazon. It's on Prime, or, yeah. Okay, yeah, so highly recommend checking that one out. And now, our feature presentation. And tonight we are talking about the 1972 Western Jeremiah Johnson. This has a 95% critic rating with an 89% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It had a budget of 3.1 million and it made 44 million at the box office. It's a pretty good ROI right there. And Wes, tell us what is this movie about? So, Veteran Jeremiah Johnson, growing tired of his life in the civilized world, decides to move up into the mountains to seek the life of a mountain man. The film follows his story as he learns the ways of the mountain from Bear Claw Chris Lapp and Del Gu, starts an unlikely family, and settles into his newfound life. When his family is killed by a band of Crow warriors, Johnson undertakes a deadly vendetta that will make him into a legend. And, you know, this movie had some very creative names for people it did but i will say a lot of those um a lot of those were drawn from history like the history that this is about so like a lot of those names uh del gu and uh bear claw chris lap i think is not hit the historical figure's real name but it was bear claw something so the bear claw part is is from history yeah i was curious why it wasn't crueler or jelly filled Ah, yes, of course, of course. (laughs) Uh, So Jeremiah Johnson was a West pick. What was the inspiration behind this pick? Well, so this movie is one of my faves. I love this movie. We were talking last summer, I guess it was on the Rio Bravo episode, and we were talking about favorite Westerns. And I know that I um, listed this one as in my top five Westerns, I just really think a lot of this movie, it's my dad's favorite movie. So it's always been one that I've been familiar with, I guess, my whole life. And I just think it's really good. I started thinking a while back that I wanted us to review it. And I wanted us to review it in the wintertime because it's such a snowy uh, winter snow western type movie. I was really hoping that we would have some snow here, uh, but no such luck. It seems like everywhere else in the country has snow except the North Carolina Triangle. Snow, 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 snow. But no snow, but it is very cold outside. And so I thought now was the perfect time to review it. But I just think it's a great movie. It's um, it's it's kind of different than your standard Western. It's not cowboys running around, you know, having shootouts. Um, it's, it's a mountain man movie. It's a movie that I think 
kind of appeals to something in me that wants to like be closer to nature. And I think that's a big part of what the movie is about, but we can get into that a little more later. But yeah, that's why I chose it. It's a favorite of mine and it's one that I like to watch when it's cold out as it is right now. Yeah, so this was a first-time watch for me. I remember when we did the Rio Bravo episode, you mentioned this, and I said that I hadn't watched it. And I think you were a little taken aback. Uh, not as uh, much. So... It's one that it's one that I'm kind of like, I think a lot of people haven't seen or heard of, actually. You know, for some reason, even though it was so, we found, you know, from looking at the, doing the research, it was so critically uh, well-respected. But it's, it's not one that I think a lot of people have heard of. And interestingly, that's a question I want to get to in a moment. But uh, when I watched this last weekend, it was not snowing, but it was certainly cold enough to, and it was gray and a little drizzly outside. And I think that really helped me get into the film even more than I, I probably would have, which was already going to be a lot just because I felt like what was going on outside was almost a parallel of what's going on on the screen. So one question that I have, because I, I don't even think I'd really heard of this movie until you mentioned it. How did it kind of fade into obscurity so much from being so critically acclaimed to now being a bit of a, an uh, an unheard of or lesser known Western because there is this one stat that I read uh, that apparently Jeremiah Johnson was the most watched movie on ABC when it was first shown in 1976 and it ousted the sound of music. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And um, I really have no good answer to that. I mean, if I had to guess, I mean, unfortunately, even though in recent years, I'm very excited that Westerns kind of seem to be having a little bit of a renaissance. I mean, they're not exactly as popular or anywhere near as popular as they once were, but you are starting to see more and more Westerns kind of come back into view. But anyways, for a long time, Westerns were really in a sort of a valley in terms of their popularity. And then this movie, not even being kind of your classic Cowboys gunfight type Western, you know, something like a tombstone, which comes out even when Westerns are really kind of at a low point in their popularity. Tombstone is kind of more what people think of as a Western, right? So I think that that one still had that kind of like, oh, this is Western. This is kind of what I think of appeal. Whereas Jeremiah Johnson is so different. I just really think maybe that's kind of what happened with it. I just think it's kind of a a unique film. It's kind of its own thing. And just maybe that's what sort of caused it to fall into somewhat obscurity. I mean, I know lots of people who like the film, but it's one where when you told me you'd never heard of it, I was not surprised because it's just not as well known as it uh, deserves to be. I completely agree with that because like you were just saying, although it is a Western, it feels really unique and I won't, I won't say that I am a huge expert on the Western genre, but I've seen a decent amount and anything from your classic spaghetti Westerns like the Man with No Name trilogy up through newer Westerns like Tombstone or the True Grit remake that came out a few years back. So I've seen a lot, but I don't really feel like I've yeah. watched a movie quite like this and it almost seems like the film's narrative is sort of a parallel 
for uh, the the titular character of Jeremiah Johnson in a bit. It's just very plodding. And I was curious what you thought about the pacing. Like, do you feel like it's too slow? Do you feel like it's just right? It's just right. I mean, for me, it's just right. I I can appreciate a slower movie anyway. And that's just, that's what this movie is. I mean, every time I watch it, and I've seen it a bunch of times, it, it's so, it's funny to me because it's a movie where, I guess if you had to describe the plot as I did earlier, I guess you would think that the central story and sort of the central story behind the Jeremiah Johnson or the real character in, from history, his name was John Johnson, sort of the real, the 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 main thrust of his story is this vendetta that he waged against the Crow Indians. Um, but that's such a small part of the movie. Like that whole part, that whole plot thread is not even introduced until maybe the the final third of the film. Uh, I know the version that I watched had an intermission and the whole thread about his vendetta wasn't even introduced until after the intermission. So uh, this movie is just, it's just a journey. Like it's a journey and you're on the journey with Jeremiah Johnson. And I think the pace fits with that. And I just really think it's perfect. I mean, it's it's almost a movie that I would say is like a relaxing movie in a way, like in a lot of places. It's not one where I'm like on the edge of my seat, gunfights and crazy stuff happening. It's one where you're like, you're along for the journey. And I think it's great. What, what do you think? I loved the pacing. I would not change a thing. And I really appreciated the sort of bare bones plot because there it, it's kind of weird. A lot happens but it's very spread out over about, I think it was around a two hour runtime. So it's very spread out and it's all super anecdotal. It's these different, mostly isolated events where the only common thread is Jeremiah Johnson being there and the more traditional from a narrative standpoint, action is that vendetta against the, Crow Native American tribe. And that doesn't, like you were saying, that doesn't even happen until the third act. And there are very few more traditional action sequences. There are a few at the end of the film, and there's uh, that one fight with a pack of wolves. But nevertheless, I never found myself bored. In fact, I constantly felt like I was just very immersed in this movie, whether it was in the dialogue that was going on, which was very scant, or whether it was just soaking in these environments. Yeah, I think this movie has a real sort of mythic quality to it. Like, I don't really know how to say that, and I think that the pacing kind of the slow pacing in a way lends itself to the feel of there being all this wide open space. Like that's one of the things I love about Westerns anyway, and especially a movie like this is just the thought of like back when this country was young and much more untamed and unexplored. And there were all these wide open spaces. And I feel like just kind of the slow pace of the movie and it, it, him just kind of making his way slowly through this mountainous frontier terrain 
just lends itself to that idea of like wide open territory in a way. So one thing, one of my first thoughts as I was watching the film was that I think I'd classify this as an epic film. Yeah. I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely the filmmakers played into that. And I, I thought it was very successful in that regard. One of my other questions that I had, how do you think this movie would fare if it were released today? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think in a way you can almost answer that question by taking a look at a film that came out a few years ago, which is The Revenant. Um, you know, that's another one of these mountain man movies. It's to me when that movie came out, I was like, oh, this is a movie that I would throw into kind of that genre of or that subgenre of Western. I mean, in a lot of ways was similar, but at the same time was also very different. I mean, even though Jeremiah Johnson and obviously, as we always do, we're going to get into some spoilers. But even though Jeremiah Johnson has a lot of stuff in it that's tragic. I mean, there's there's sad stuff. There's dark stuff that happens. Uh, overall, I feel like it's a movie with with an optimistic tone and a movie that I would I don't want to call a feel good movie, but in a way it is. I mean, I just think it, it's a movie that I watch and it puts me in good spirits, whereas something like The Revenant is very dark. It's a revenge film, but it's very much more dark and gritty. So I think obviously dark and gritty is a big part of our movie culture today. And I think that that sort of change would need to be made, but if so, you can see it being very popular as was the Revenant. What do you think? Uh, So I have not actually seen the Revenant yet. It's on my list of movies to watch, which is quite extensive. I agree with you. I think it would be a lot grittier. I don't think it would quite, quite have the positivity that Jeremiah Johnson does. The other thing is I feel like the pacing would probably be increased and it would be converted more into an action oriented film, not necessarily to the benefit of the overall motion picture. Yeah, I think that, and I love a fast paced movie. I mean, I really do depending on the genre, but, but I think that our inability to enjoy a film with a slower pace is to our detriment. Uh, in a lot of ways now. I agree. In fact, this I felt like held my attention a lot more than even some newer action films. And I think that is a mark of of quality filmmaking as well, because I will say, you know, there are some movies that I watch that kind of have a, a slower pace and simply don't hold my attention in the way that a movie like this does. I think that it's an overall it's the product of, of, of the overall process. Um, you know, the, the cinematography being so well done, the acting being so well done, the score being so well done. It's just a well-made film that holds your attention because of, because it's artfully done. And it uses a lot of non-traditional methods of conveying things like dialogue and the passage of time. And I'm curious, did you feel like that worked well for you? I did, actually. So 
Um, I really liked the dialogue in this a lot. I mean, um, I know that I've read in a couple different places that director Sidney Pollack said that this movie was his silent film. I mean, you know, there's so much of it that just relies on music and, and soundscapes and, and the, and the views and not as much on words. Um, and I think the sparse dialogue really worked for it. And, um, you know, there, there, they did a lot to reveal the character of Jeremiah Johnson through these tiny little snippets. And that was just really interesting to me. A couple of things, and I wrote them down, um, that really stood out to me. One of them was when he first meets Bearclaw, and Johnson is wearing his mountain man gear, but part of that attire is his military pants, which was pretty common uh, back in those days for people to who had been in the military to keep their pants as a part of their day-to-day wear. And he's wearing military pants and uh, Bearclaw looks down and says, I must have missed another war down there. And Jeremiah Johnson just looks up and says, you didn't miss nothing. And that's all he says. But from that, you get a lot about Jeremiah Johnson. From that little bit, you learn that he was a veteran, that he was in a war, that the war and his experiences in the war were one of the things that made him want to leave his old life behind and move up into the mountains and seek this new life. I could be reading more into that than was intended, but I think that that kind of the whole, you didn't miss nothing speaks a lot to his backstory. Uh, and another line that stood out to me that way is when I don't even remember the first thing, but it's once again in the bear claw segments and, and bear claw says something to him about lots of people who live down below. They come up here looking for something, you know, they, they think the mountain's going to give them something. And he says something about life. And anyways, um, Jeremiah Johnson just says it ought to have been different. And that's all he says. But once again, you just get this real sense of he was just dis- he was just dissatisfied with where his lot in life was before he came up on the mountain. And I just think little lines like that were were really powerful. Yeah, I, I thought the dialogue was it was very sparse. But behind each line, despite its brevity, there was a lot of meaning there. And then another thing that I really liked was the way that even things like the passage of time were shown by the changing of the seasons and Jeremiah Johnson's development, his newfound skill as a mountain man was conveyed through action so you uh, initially at the beginning of the film he's trying to catch a fish and very unsuccessful in that and then later on you see him hunting and he's bagging some game and you get this sense of how far he has progressed in that journey of becoming a mountaineer yeah yeah, it's just a, it's just really well done, and I think it does. You were saying earlier about it being an epic film, and it just really does seem to follow this like, kind of like a legend making um, path for the character. Yeah, and not only do you, as the audience member, have the start to gain this mythical view of Jeremiah Johnson, but even the characters in the movie start to put him on a pedestal. And at the end of the film, he uh, Jeremiah returns to this house that he had stopped at previously. And there's a new owner and there's this monument to him that crow warriors are leaving 
these trinkets at. And I, I think if I recall correctly, initially Jeremiah believes that they think he's dead and that it's a, a, a gra- kind of a grave, but then the new owner of that house explains, no, it's a monument. They're honoring you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I, um, I read the, the, uh, well, this, this movie's based on two books, uh, kind of, they blended them together. Uh, one of them is, uh, is Crow Killer, the saga of liver eating Johnson, um, by Raymond Thorpe and Robert Bunker. And I did read that one. And then I also own the other book that it's based on, which is Mountain Man by Vardis Fisher. Uh, But I haven't read that one yet. It's uh, on my list. As you said earlier, I've got a big list of books to read and a big list of movies to watch. And it's just getting longer all the time. But um, in Crow Killer, what I'm getting at is in Crow Killer, they they make a big point out of that about how, you know, Jeremiah Johnson became sort of legendary or John Johnson is the real character among other mountain men kind of like he was sort of a heroic figure to other mountain men, as well as to a lot of the native American tribes and even his um, vendetta against the crow kind of built up his stature among all the native American tribes, including the crow. Honestly, at at one point in the movie, he says that the, the Indians uh, judge their worth based on how the value of their enemies or something like that. You know, he's talking about how like the fact that they have such a respectable enemy is like a sign of honor uh, to them. And that's kind of something you get from the book. Now, that being said, I will say about Crow Killer, it's a, it's a history book, but it's also based around a very, and the authors acknowledge that it's kind of, um, John Johnson is a, is sort of a semi-legendary character. So it's based on all these oral histories. So even things that are said about him have that mythic touch to them already because they're stories that were sort of passed down um, about him. And that was something I really enjoyed over the course of the film is the rise in stardom that Johnson has and his character progression from this green behind the ears wannabe mountaineer to this legendary, almost Davy Crockett or or Paul Bunyan type character. Yeah, I think that's... um... I, I don't know. I just think that's a really fun narrative to follow, kind of like watching somebody become more competent in this lifestyle, because I think a big appeal of this movie, at least to me as a viewer, is sort of like a is sort of this, I want to say, like a primal fantasy of, you know, being out there and conquering the wilderness and like, you know, being one with nature and all this. And so kind of we go on the journey with Jeremiah Johnson because he's a stand in, you know, for that sort of uh like I say, sort of a primal fantasy, I think in us as viewers, you know, we want to see him succeed. And in a way we're kind of like living vicariously through him, uh, which is what makes a movie like this work so well. Uh, Cause we're, we're on board for, for the journey. Yeah. And he also just seemed very likable. Yes. And I think a lot of that has, a lot of that comes from finding the right actor to play him. I mean, Redford is perfect for this role. Yeah. I, it's hard to imagine anyone else being cast in this role although uh, originally i read that the role of jeremiah johnson was supposed to be played by lee marvin and then clint eastwood and sam peckinpah was apparently going to direct 
Can you imagine a movie where... Can you imagine this movie directed by Sam Peckinpah starring Clint Eastwood? I mean, maybe, because the dialogue's so so sparse. But I feel like while, while this movie had the sparse dialogue and Clint Eastwood was well-known for the sparse dialogue, I feel like both men portray very different types of characters through their tight-lipped protagonists. Yeah, I... I... I'd be really interested to see what the project would have looked like with Eastwood and Peckinpah. I think it would have just been this super bloody over the top action flick. And truthfully that, that air of menace, I mean, it wouldn't have been entirely out of place. One thing I left out a minute ago is that, you know, John Johnson's nickname was liver eating Johnson. I think I said it when I read the name of the book, but I mean, he was known, they left that part out of the movie, but his sort of the the legend of John Livereton Johnson is that when he killed these uh, these Crow Indians that he was on the vendetta against, he would eat their liver afterwards uh, because it had something to do with sort of like dishonoring them in some way by eating their liver. Uh, so that was like a big. So he he was sort of a, a dark, gritty dude. Legend has it. That he ate their liver with fava beans in a nice Chianti. A nice Chianti. I didn't even put it together. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, we'll, we'll take a break. And when we get back, we're going to keep breaking down Jeremiah Johnson. His name was Jeremiah Johnson. They say he wanted to be a mountain man. Nobody knows whereabouts he come from and don't seem to matter much. He was a young man, and ghosty stories about the tall hills didn't scare him none. Bought him a good horse and traps and other truck that went with being a mountain man and said goodbye to whatever life was down there below. This is his story. Robert Redford as Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah Johnson made his way into the mountains. I, am I know who you are. You're the same dumb pilgrim I've been hearing for 20 days and smelling for three. Written on, forgetting all the troubles that he knew. Take him. What? Take him! Ma'am, I wouldn't know how to tend after it. The trail was wide and narrow. The eagle or the sparrow showed the path he was to follow. Are you all right? Sure, sure. I got a fine horse under me. A mountain man's a lonely man, and he leaves a lot behind. How's the war going? Which war? It ought to have been different, but you oftentimes will find. That story doesn't always go the way you had in mind. If you value your hair, you will get married. <laughs> Jeremiah's story was that kind. He was a man the Indians prayed to and cursed and tried to kill. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Robert Redford as Jeremiah Johnson. Some say he's dead. Some say he never will be. Jeremiah's story was that kind. So we talked a little bit earlier about Jeremiah Johnson and what makes this film so unique. And one thing I wanted to dig into a little bit was favorite scenes. So did you have a favorite scene from the movie? All of them. No, I, uh, yeah, I do have some favorite scenes. I will say this, while this whole movie is definitely worth watching, I'm going to feel weird talking about how much I just love the beginning of this movie. Um, I love the little monologue at the first where it's like, his name was Jeremiah Johnson. He wanted to be a mountain man. And it goes through this whole thing. I love that. He pulls up and buys his, like his equipment. And he asks the guy, where he can find, you know, animals where he can get pelts for to sell for money. And the guy says to head west to the Rockies and straight on till sunset or something like that. I don't remember the exact lines. And then after that, you get all these scenes of him just wandering through this beautiful countryside and this amazing theme song, the ballad of Jeremiah Johnson is playing. And you just get all this imagery of him wandering around, just kind of getting his bearings for the mountain while this theme song's playing. And I have watched those opening scenes so many times because just the combination of I love the theme song. Um, I really like that opening narration and I really love all those beautiful nature shots. It's just, it's great. So honestly, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. But right after that, if you want an actual, like getting into the meat of the movie a little more, uh, I love all the stuff when um, Bear Claw Chris Lapp is teaching him kind of the ways of the mountain man. I love the character of Bear Claw anyway. And I just love all that stuff where he's kind of like learning, especially when he takes the, when he, <laughs> he asks Jeremiah Johnson if he can skin Grizz and Jeremiah says, just as fast as you can find them. And a few minutes later, <laughs> Bear Claw comes back and he's got this huge grizzly bear behind him. And he's like, he's like luring it into the cabin and he basically <laughs> tricks it into going in the cabin with Jeremiah and shuts Jeremiah in there. And Jeremiah Johnson has to jump out the window to escape. And Chris Lapp just says, Skin that one, Pilgrim, and I'll find you another one. I just love all that stuff. That was a brilliant scene. Uh, I loved that so much. And I think uh, I think Bear Claw's my favorite character. Yeah, he rules, dude. I love that character, too. Will Gear, I think, is the actor. Um, and uh, I was going to say about that particular scene, in the uh, little featurette that's on my DVD, they mentioned how shooting that scene with the grizzly bear apparently took like two weeks. It's a real bear. That's kind of crazy. I guess it's it. It's like that. Uh, it's like that scene from um, Zombie Two with the with the shark. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think it didn't like editing the film take what seven months or something. Yeah, they said that this movie was a lot of it was kind of put together in the editing room. So I guess it took a long time to film as well. If that scene alone took two weeks to film. Yeah, I would imagine so. And, you know, they said they ran into all kinds of like weather problems. They were talking about how because they shot this up in like the mountains of Utah because Redford had like a lot of property up there. Um, And so they shot it like on and around Redford's property up there. And apparently it just snowed. And they said that they had one thermometer that like for weeks didn't even get up to zero. Uh, apparently it was just awful, but they said it made, you know, it made that much better for a movie like this, for it to be just that kind of weather when they were filming. 
Yeah, apparently there were a lot of cases of frostbite and strep throat and pneumonia. So it was, it was kind of hazardous making this movie. And, and even though the entire movie does not have a snowy setting, a lot of the scenes that are conjured up in my memory when I think of watching this movie are some of the snow scenes. And kind of like you were saying, one of my favorite scenes was actually at the beginning. And it was that scene of Jeremiah Johnson trying to catch a fish. And he's just failing miserably, but you can tell he is trying so hard. And then there's a scene shortly thereafter where he's sitting in the snowy woods and just breathing on his hands and trying to keep them warm. And I really enjoyed that because it was one of those, like we mentioned earlier, nonverbal ways of showing that he's very inexperienced as a mountain man, but he has a lot of resolve and you can tell that he has the drive to become successful at being a mountaineer. And another one of my favorite scenes is sort of several different scenes, but it was the musical interludes. So there at the beginning, there's an overture and then in the middle, there is an intermission. And then at the end, I think there was sort of an outro. Yeah. And you were saying when we were on break, we were talking about the, the musical segments. So to me, those reminded me a lot of films like Gone with the Wind. And you were saying, Wes, that they actually cut those out for the original home video release, I guess, on VHS. Yeah, apparently. I don't know because my DVD has them back in there, thankfully. And I don't really remember when I was a kid if they were in there or not when we watched it. But I was just when I was doing the research, they said that 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 those got cut out of the initial home video release and then reinserted later. And I'm very thankful that they did, because like you were just saying, I really love stuff like that. Besides the fact that once again, I will reiterate that the music is so good in this. So it's definitely worth having. Yeah, the soundtrack is phenomenal. It's so good. So good. Um, And, you know, the crazy, the crazy thing about this soundtrack that I didn't know until we were doing the research for this episode is that they couldn't afford in the budget a name composer. So the people that they got to do the music, uh, Tim McIntyre and John Rubenstein, were primarily actors, uh, but they just also happened to be musicians. And this was their film composing debut. Um, And it's just crazy that they were just kind of like actors that were just hired because they just needed somebody to write music for the film. And what you got is this score that's just really honestly among my favorite film scores ever. I'm almost wondering if that choice, which was by necessity almost worked in the film's favor because the music does feel very unique. Yeah. I I can see it. And so I'm thinking maybe by getting the, uh, primarily actors to compose it gave it a very fresh vibe and differentiated it, the music from a lot of the other soundtracks that were coming out. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I was stunned when I read that, honestly, and, and I've always, I really want to track down a copy of this soundtrack. Apparently it was released a few years after the movie on vinyl. It's super hard to come by now. And then uh, it was re-released in the early 2000s, I think, by some small label. But at this point, it's super hard to come by. And whenever you see one online, they're very expensive. But it's just such a good, a great soundtrack. I was honestly today when I was uh, working from home, I had the 
the instrumental music just kind of going in the background from playing it on the internet. And while the music is great, I also think the cinematography is pretty phenomenal. And I loved all of the nature shots. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but they they picked some good filming locations, uh, including some of the highlights included Zion National Park and Snow Canyon State Park. So I thought they did. I thought they did a great job with that, and I loved a lot of the kind of camera pans that they had. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I loved all of it. I mean, I really think honestly, it's it's kind of cliche as it's going to sound, but this is just one of those movies where. The setting and the feel and just the 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 nature itself is every bit as important as the narrative of the of the movie. I mean, you know, just the experience of of the mountains is 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 as every bit as important as any particular plot point. Yeah, and, and after like after the movie ended, it was pretty rainy and and cold outside. But I just I wanted to go for a hike. Yeah, me too, dude. Absolutely. I already told myself when I was watching it earlier this week, I was like, I'm going on a hike soon. When the weather gets up, I'm going to go over to Umstead State Park or something like that, and I'm I'm going on a hike, man. I got to get outside. Yeah, it made me just want to break my lease and just go out in, in nature. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It does a great job of that. Um, and I think that's really kind of what they wanted to get across. I mean, if if you look into it, apparently like Robert Redford was really big on that. Like he was big on, and I don't know a ton about Red, Redford as a person, but apparently he was big on conservationism. He was really big on like being out in nature. They said he would just go out, you know, and go walk. Cause like I say, a, a lot of this was shot around his property and he would just go walking out in the Utah wilds by himself. So apparently he was just super into that whole getting out in nature thing anyway. One thing that I did not realize going in is that uh, director Sidney Pollock, so he apparently worked on seven other movies with Robert Redford, including Three Days of the Condor. And among the movies that he directed are Tootsie and uh, Out, Out of Africa. And that was something I did not realize going into this this film. And I feel like he just has a, a really diverse set of films that he's directed. I'm familiar with almost all those to some extent, but I've not seen any of them. So I couldn't really speak too much to any of those. But I'm they're like classic titles that I recognize. <laughs> yeah. So Three Days of the Condor is one that I think you would really enjoy. And, and Tootsie, I love Tootsie. Tootsie is super fun. But I mean, those two titles and, and Jeremiah Johnson—they're—they're they're just all very distinct films, and uh, I just thought it was really interesting because not only are the genres varied, but even the execution and the tone of each is so different, which I, I think is really—it speaks a lot of a director because even a lot of my favorite directors, like uh, like Tarantino, for instance, tend to even if the story is different feature a very similar tone and kind of a framework and i don't think i don't think sydney pollock has that which i think is awesome yeah you know when you're watching a tarantino movie or an argento movie or something like that like you know yeah i mean argento has a he has a very distinct fingerprint (laughs) oh for sure and like you said uh you know tarantino for sure i think that's kind of to a lot of audiences today is kind of like 
<laughs> I hate to say he's more like a that style of director, but you know Tarantino intentionally has molded himself as that style of sort of a cult cinema director with a very unique footprint. Yeah, but I mean even Spielberg, like there is a term Spielbergian. Well, I will say this: uh, you were talking about earlier how watching this at the at just the right time with just the right weather uh, really added to your enjoyment of the film. And I think that's true too. And one thing we were talking about is the concept of snow Westerns, uh, which is something that I always find really intriguing. It's funny when I guess in my group of friends, I'm known enough to like a snow Western that when uh, Red Dead Redemption two came out, this is not, much of a spoiler since it's been out for years. Uh, and also it's very close to the beginning of the game, but there's a whole part when you're uh, snowed in, in this whole area. And uh, Donnie, our friend Donnie texted me and was like, I bet you're loving this part in red dead too. And, uh, it, and I did, it was very good. But I think a lot about a few years ago when I first watched the great silence, it was during one of our last like, snows to speak of around here we haven't had a lot of snow in recent years but a few years back we had a pretty good snow and i stayed in and watched the great silence and i kind of had the same feeling where seeing the the weather outside kind of reflected in the tv added a lot to my enjoyment so i can kind of imagine what you're talking about with that adding an extra layer to it yeah so the concept of snow westerns is pretty new to me i don't think i've been introduced to that subgenre until you mentioned it but it makes sense I, I haven't explored it a ton the only other one that i've seen besides jeremiah johnson it, it was the hateful eight which i enjoyed the heck out of i need to get around to watching the revenant at some point and maybe i'll do that soon to kind of dovetail off of jeremiah johnson a little bit I think you're going to like that one a lot. I, I remember after the movie was over, I went and saw it with some friends and we were, we went to five guys afterwards and we're just kind of like, well, that was not an uplifting film, was it? So I mean, it's one of those where in a lot of ways it's like Jeremiah Johnson, but the end emotional impact is very different, uh, but it's super good. I remember saying if DiCaprio didn't win best actor for that, then what is the Academy for? But fortunately he did. So I was about to ask if he did because I can't remember. He, he that came out what? Was that 2015, 2016? I think so. I think it was 15, I think. Yeah. And was I I want to say there was a big deal about that. Was that was that his first win? It was his first win for best actor. I don't know. I, I yeah, I'm assuming so. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like when Scorsese, I mean, it's sort of like when Scorsese never won uh best picture until The Departed. I mean, can you imagine? Which The Departed is great, but Scorsese had never won Best Picture. Not for Goodfellas, not for Casino, not for Raging Bull. I forgot about that. Yeah. And you're right. The Departed is a phenomenal film, but if you'd have, if you'd have given me some trivia right now, I would have guessed it was like Goodfellas. Yeah, I think that's what most people would think. Huh. Wow, that's that's a good trivia fact right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good trivia fact. Uh, so one thing that I felt like was a little bit confusing was kind of towards the end of the film. And it was when... Uh, so Jeremiah Johnson is he's gotten married to this Native American woman, Swan, and he's taking care of 
this kid who was given to him by the character Crazy Woman. And the the kid doesn't speak. It's It was unclear to me whether he didn't speak because he couldn't or whether he was just in shock. But Jeremiah ends up just kind of dubbing him Caleb. So they're living happy life. He's built a log cabin for them. And then there's this wagon train that's stuck in a mountain pass. And uh, Johnson is begrudgingly uh, kind of coerced into helping uh, locate them. And on the journey, he ends up taking this, uh, you know, these troops through a crow graveyard. And then on the way back, he sees something and kind of panics and then goes home really fast to find his wife and his kid scalped and and murdered. And I was really confused at first and I actually had to rewind and watch it again and still wasn't entirely sure. But what I kind of put together was on the way back, he sees these blue trinkets that were his wife's swans sitting on top of one of the crow uh, uh, graves and that they were killed as retribution for him going through the graveyard. But I just thought this was a really kind of convoluted scene. And I thought it was one of the few instances in the film where that nonverbal way of relaying different plot points kind of fell flat on its face. And I was curious what you thought. I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that for sure. I think that because I'll be honest with you until you just said that, I didn't know. I, I had the same confusion and I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but I had the same confusion. I always kind of got the impression that he just kind of got really worried for some reason that they were going to do something to his wife. And he ran. That's when he started rushing home. I didn't pick up on the fact that he had seen her trinkets there and that's how he knew, which actually parallels something that happens in the in the, the book, which is that um, he sees a uh, it's you know, it's obviously a lot more drawn out but he sees a, a rifle one of the he sees a crow warrior that holding a rifle that he had given as a present to his wife and he knows something happened um but so that makes sense but i never really picked up on that and i'm going to agree with you that that's one instance where the nonverbal uh cues didn't really hit and I, I, if i could think of like a parallel from another film and kind of something they could have done uh, and this is crazy to make this comparison but I, I immediately am thinking about night of the living dead and in that movie um uh, when Barbara's brother, you meet Barbara's brother. He's not a very recognizable actor. Uh, and Johnny, I couldn't think of his name at all. So Johnny is wearing these uh, gloves and they make a big deal about showing you these gloves at the first, him putting on his gloves and stuff. And that was done so that later when you see Johnny, you would recognize the gloves and you would know who it is. They were concerned you wouldn't recognize him. They did a big thing about setting up those gloves. And I think in this scene, they should have they should have made a bigger deal maybe about setting up those beads so we would have recognized that. Yeah, I agree. I think that would have compensated because I, it, it took me a, a little bit to actually figure out what happened. And the only way that I really pieced it together was there's this very intentional close up of this skeleton in there or these blue trinkets on top. And I was like, well, I, I guess those are swans because he, the camera zooms in and then Jeremiah looks super worried and then just rushes home on his horse. 
but I, I felt like it could have been way more clear cut. And I think even doing something like that, you know, having some close up that was very intentional and seemingly out of place earlier in the film of Swan putting on her tr- trinkets or holding them or something would have made it a little bit more recognizable than how yeah. it's executed. I mean, yeah. it was it was kind of a minor it's a it's a minor quibble that I have with the film, but it was still very confusing. I was like, what is he telepathic? And it, you know, I had to rewind to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's something that you put together what happened, but it definitely could have been shown to the audience a little bit, a little clearer. Yeah. So with that, you want to rate this movie? Yes, I do. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, man, this is getting five stars from me. I I haven't even really thought about my rating until this moment. I normally think about them a lot uh, in advance of, of giving a movie a rating. But this one's, this one's getting five stars from me. I just, I really love it. It's such a unique movie. I mean, even I made the comparison to The Revenant and there's other Mountain Man movies. I mean, th- there are other Mountain Man movies, but this one just has such a unique character I just think it's so well cast, so well directed. The cinematography is beautiful. The score is a masterpiece. It's awesome. I mean, it's a it's its own thing, very unique and just really well done. Jeremiah Johnson, five stars from me. And I am actually not too far behind. I'm giving this one a 4.5. Uh, I've seen not a ton of Westerns, uh, but a respectable number. And even so, this just felt really unique. Uh, I absolutely adored the slow pacing because it's, I mean, it is molasses slow, but it is the most far thing from boring that it can be. Uh, I mean, I've watched it. I love 70s movies, especially a lot of 70s horror. And even for 70s movies, which were slower paced than a lot of newer films this was just very deliberate uh, and i loved it i thought the epic feel was very apparent uh, I, robert redford i think just absolutely nails the character of, of jeremiah johnson uh, the cinematography is excellent the score is great yeah i, I just think it's an, an all-around masterpiece um, my only one minor complaint was i thought that one scene with jeremiah recognizing swan's trinkets was a little confusing but yeah i mean that's my only minor complaint i loved it uh this is the kind of film that i feel like i can just put on like any any rainy day and and just kind of have a relaxing journey yep agreed wholeheartedly and speaking of journeys thank you guys for coming on this journey with us and learning more about jeremiah johnson we really appreciate it and you know what else we'd appreciate head over to the apple podcast app or spotify stitcher and subscribe and go to the apple podcasts app and leave us rating and a review which helps us get discovered that's how a lot of people find out about us and we actually have an awesome five star review from Stephen King Rules Podcast. And Stephen King Rules Podcast says, a must-have for any film fanatic. These guys have one heck of a great podcast. Their rich backlog of discussions has made me look forward to my commute. 
this was left in the before times because I think the commute now is probably shuffling to the next room. And I think our podcasts are a little bit longer than that. Uh, they they cover a lot of gyms, both well-known and some obscure five stars all the way. So thank you very much, Stephen King Rules Podcast. And you know what? We are actually pretty big fans of the Stephen King Rules Podcast ourselves. So That's true. if you're looking for another great film-related podcast, check them out. As the name suggests, they talk about all things Stephen King. And if you want to follow us, you can check us out at Celluloid Fiends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Celluloid Fiends Pod on Instagram. If you want to follow me, you can check me out at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. I write about film over at cupofmo.com, and I write about tech at techuplife.com. And this is Wes Clifton signing out. Um, like like uh, Mo said, you know, it's great if you can leave us a rating and review. Uh, or also, you can just tell a friend about this podcast. I mean, that's a great way to get the word out as well. Um, so, yeah, make sure to check me out on Instagram. I'm at Cliff Weston. And if you'd like to read some of my uh, writing, we're talking about Westerns today. I do have a Western story out and available. And you can find out more about that on my website, wdclifton.wordpress.com. And remember, celluloid fiends, be kind, rewind. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to, please, stop it, stop it now. Turn it off, turn it off. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it! Stop it!